0: All right, grab your Bible with me and open it to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, we have a moment here in the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples. It's some of the very last words uh, that we have on earth of Jesus are right here Matthew 28. Mark 16, Acts 1, these are some of the very last words of Jesus, they're very empowering words, but they're extremely important words for every single person that chooses to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to be what we call a disciple of Jesus any time in history. I wanna read it for us and then I want us to make uh, some points and some conclusions, conclusions based on this verse throughout the morning. Now, we call these verses the Great Commission. We call them the Great Commission, and they've been titled this throughout history and throughout the Christian church because Jesus is commissioning his disciples. He's releasing his disciples to go and make disciples. He's telling them, it's your turn. I want you to help people believe in Jesus and live for me daily. And what's interesting is it seems like, it seems like Jesus, because it's such a short commission and a short command, it seems as if Jesus is assuming they know how to do this. And it's because they do, they do know how to do this. And this is one of the things in the church that we are constantly wrestling with. How do we make disciples best in 2022? How do you make disciples best in the middle of a time when we can't meet? COVID. How do we make disciples post-COVID now when we've all changed, right? We've all changed. How are we doing that? Well, Jesus seems to assume that we know how to do that and should know how to do that. Now, his disciples, they did know how to do that. These first century disciples, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Why did they know that? How did they know that? First of all, they knew it because they grew up in an atmosphere of discipleship, in a culture that made disciples in an atmosphere that talked about what it meant to be a disciple, and this was a part of every community and the society. And second, because Jesus had showed them for three years. So they have a history of it as the people of God in Israel, but they also have a modern example of it because Jesus just modeled it for them for three years. This is why the first apostles and the first disciples were able to quickly change the world, train thousands of people, and help us understand what it would mean to be a disciple for thousands of years since then. Now we're asking ourselves one question this year. We've been asking one question. Do I trust God? Do I trust him with everything? I wanna ask us all a very important question today. And here's our question for really the next two Sundays because as I wrote my message and as I began to study it over the past couple days, I realized that this was either gonna be about an hour and 35 minute message or I needed to divide it into two. Thankfully for my sake and yours, I divided it into two, okay? So here we go. Here's our question for today and for next week. Do you trust that you, are a disciple of Jesus? Do you trust that you are a disciple of Jesus? And if the answer is yes, why? Why are you a disciple of Jesus? What makes you special? What makes you unique? What makes you a disciple of Jesus? And do you know how to make disciples? Now here's what's interesting. Before I said that the reason they knew how to make disciples was because they lived in an atmosphere of discipleship. So I want us to look this morning at the places and the people that Jesus chose to be his first disciples. None of it was by accident. Not a single thing Jesus ever did or that God ever does is by accident. Do you believe that? I do. do. And so I believe Jesus lived in the city that he lived on purpose, and then he chose the disciples that he chose on purpose. And that he chose them from a region and an area on purpose. Because everything that Jesus was doing was intentional to get the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world so that you and I could sit in these seats in Jeannie Washington 2,000 years from when Jesus was here, loving him, serving him, and knowing that he is the Savior of the world. That's all intentional. It's all on purpose. So why did he choose the area he did? Why did he choose the people he did? Let's look at that because it's very important. So let me start with the place the disciples were chosen. The place that the disciples were chosen is an area called Galilee. And there's a map, if we could th- throw that map up there. This is the region of Galilee. You'll notice it, it's, it's the area and the region. This is Northern Israel, so you don't, even, you don't even see Jerusalem on the map because it's in Southern Israel. But this is Galilee, it's the Sea of Galilee. You see Jesus' hometown there, Nazareth, Cana, where he did his first miracle at his cousin's wedding, turning water to wine. And then you have these other cities around it, Gennesaret, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. And at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, there's another city called Sathopolis. It's not on the map, but This is the region, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. This is also the area of Galilee. It has a great history of discipleship. Now here's what's interesting. It's not Jerusalem. It's not the big city. It's not where the temple is. It's not where the the greatest part of the worship is. It's not where the priests are. It's not where they're having feasts and celebrations. It's also not where the hypocrisy of the religious institution is. It's Galilee. Jesus grew up in this area. He lived in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Well, a city that's not on the map because it's a Greek city was kind of at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it was a city called Sethopolis. It's about 15 miles from Nazareth where Jesus was. It was a Greek city. It was a very modern city. It had a sewer system, running water, an arena, a theater, Gymnasium, which would be, it would have been, um, what would we have called it? They probably would have called it like Sea of Galilee University. They had a great football team, many guys that could dunk a basketball. It was, it was university, it was gymnasium, right? There were temples, wide streets, markets, lots of food, industry, structure, everything. And here's what's interesting Jesus doesn't go to that city to pick his disciples. He picks his disciples from these small towns around the Sea of Galilee. In particular, let me point out one, Bethsaida. Bethsaida. In in Hebrew, it means fishing village. It's made up of maybe six to eight hundred people, and it's a Jewish community. They're passionate about living for God in the Old Testament. It's probably about 10 to 15 families that are all living in community together. Now here's what I want you to see. Five of the apostles came from this city. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip. Peter, James, Andrew, John, and Philip grew up as boys in this little city of Bethsaida. This little city that was like many of the cities in northern Israel had a very strong structure and culture of discipleship. In these small cities scattered throughout Galilee, you would find the foundation of what it meant to be a disciple because it was well known and understood in these small Jewish villages. So what did that mean? How did a person become a disciple in Galilee. Well, a Galilean disciple was a person who first of all lived in tight community. A Galilean disciple lived in community. When you go to the ruins of Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum, you find houses where around like a hundred people lived together. So it was like communal living. Your entire family lived in this large outdoor structure with multiple houses, a large courtyard, a big kitchen, and everybody lived there. All of the aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, cousins. There was all this in this large community, and then there was another one next to that with another family, and another one next to that with another family. And so you lived in very tight community. In your family, you all had the same occupation, so you were all helping one another with that occupation and helping one another all throughout the day. They had the same commitment to God. They supported one another, they encouraged one another, they corrected one another. They were willing to live with a rabbi as a community of godly believers, and the rabbi brought the entire community spiritual leadership, and they submitted to it. Now, here's what's challenging. In our world today, in America today, what do we focus on? Individualism. We don't focus on community. We focus on individualism. So when we talk about doing discipleship well and doing it together, why do we have such a hard time with it in the United States? Here's why. We don't have a culture of community. We have a culture of individualism. And we're trying as the church and as pastors and as spiritual leaders to always get these individuals in community with one another because we know it's the power of the gospel. But we're all struggling because we're all individuals. And on top of that, our DNA in the PNW is to be what? Individual. Our DNA in the PNW is let's go find 20 acres and live by ourselves and grow our own food and have our own kids and our own cow and our own beef and our own stuff. And it's, it's us, right? We're, we're the PNW. This is us. We can do this all by ourselves. We think about what's best for one person, me, not the whole. See, in fact, the idea that one person should get all their rights and privileges and it should negate the majority is exactly where we're living today, But disciples of Jesus Christ in the first century and in the Bible times, their foundation is found where? In community. So the first struggle that you and I are always gonna have is in our culture, we're based on individualism and we need to embrace a culture in the church of community. See, disciples in the first century were entirely different because the community was the focus. In fact, if, if, if you went out and did something on your own in the first century, you were considered selfish, narcissistic. Because what was more important was the whole, the community, everyone. What's best for grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and aunts and uncles and the little nieces and nephews? That's what's best for me. We don't live that way. So the first thing that a Galilean disciple was like was a person who lived in community. Now in every community, there was also a synagogue, not the temple, the temple was in Jerusalem, but each little town had its own synagogue, its own local church. It was that meeting place in the center of town. It's where they came to worship God, to listen to teaching. It's where they came to worship the Lord, It was where rabbis would teach. It's where visiting rabbis would come and teach. But the synagogue had something that was extremely important. The synagogue housed the Torah, the scrolls, the Old Testament on scrolls. This is what made the synagogue extremely important to the community and very special to every single person in every one of those little cities. Was that any time during the day or on the Sabbath, I could go to the synagogue and the rabbi would open the scroll and read to me. And so God's word was extremely important. And the scrolls taught who God was, who mankind is, how we should live and treat one another in the world. So the word of God was precious and special to the community. Nothing was more important in the community than the scrolls, than the word of God. So what we see is a Galilean disciple gave God's word priority in their lives. The disciples would go to the synagogue and study God's word. The rabbis would read the word and they would discuss it. They would debate it. And sometimes they would have different views about it. But, but not everyone in the community and not everyone in the synagogue who was listening to God's word being read and who was debating with the rabbis was a true disciple. See, a Galilean disciple gave God's word priority in their lives, but it didn't mean they were a full-fledged disciple yet. Every synagogue had a school connected to it. Normally, this was a room next to the main meeting room. And this is where discipleship really began. It started in community with mom and dad and your family. It started in the synagogue. It started as a passion for God's word and for living it out. But it would really take root in that synagogue school. Now, boys and girls would go to elementary school there. It was called Beth Seder. And students would learn and they would write. And the curriculum was the word of God. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but the the curriculum for early elementary education in the United States in our founding years was also the Bible. But they were reading the Bible, the Old Testament, mostly the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They were reading it, memorizing it, reciting it, discovering it, discovering its meaning. And that's what you did. When you were young to the age of about 12 or 13. Now, during that time, you would learn how to explain God's word, how to understand it, how to live it. Around age 13, most girls would grow a little bit more, and in the next couple years, they would, they would marry, and they would start their own family. Boys, would begin to work with their fathers and their grandfathers in the family business. They'd learn a productive part of the community as a carpenter or a leather worker or a mason or a farmer or something that helped the community. But there were those who were very passionate about God's word, about serving the Lord, and they wanted to go on. They wanted to go on to the next level. So they would they'd go on to a next level of learning called Beth Midrash. And in Beth Midrash, the rabbi who was employed at your synagogue, he would begin to teach this smaller number of mostly boys from ages 12 to 15, and they would go on and they would learn the rest of the Old Testament. They would memorize it, they would learn it, they would read it, they would study the law and the prophets and other sections of the Old Testament. They would memorize large portions so that by, by the time they were done with Beth Midrash, they would have almost the entirety of what we know as the Old Testament completely memorized. <laughs> now, if you showed exceptional ability and great passion for God and his word, you could move and become a Talmud. Now, the word that we translate Talmud to in English is the word, guess what? Disciple. Disciple. A Talmud was more than a person who wanted to learn deeper things. A Talmud was someone who said, I want to be like the rabbi. It's more than wanting to know what the rabbi knows. I've already learned a ton from the rabbi. I mean, I've I've memorized the entire Old Testament. The rabbi has been teaching me a lot, so I know a lot about what the rabbi knows. It's more than that. I want to know more than the rabbi knows. I want to be like the rabbi. I want to live like him. I want to know what it's like to live like him. I, I wanna see who he's like at every single level of his life. I want my life to be lived like the rabbi. So this person who wanted to be a Talmud and wanted to go on, he was willing to say, I will give up everything to follow the rabbi and live like he does. And so if you had a deep commitment to God's word and a passion for living for God and that strong passion and that strong commitment for God, led you to be a Talmud, then you would seek out a rabbi that you enjoyed and that you liked and you wanted to be like him, you wanted to live your life like the rabbi was living for God, then you would go to that rabbi and you would ask him this phrase, may I follow you? May I follow you? And then that rabbi would take some time and he'd watch you and he'd see if you were really committed to God, if you were really committed to his word, and if you were, and if he wanted to take you on, then he would come, and he would ask you this phrase, or he would say this phrase to you. Come, follow me. You would immediately leave your family. You wouldn't even go home. If you were out in the market or you were hanging out somewhere and he walked up to you and said, come, follow me, you would immediately leave what you were doing and follow the rabbi. You would begin to live with him 24 hours a day. Wherever the rabbi went, you went. You lived in his home. You went to him with his home. You went to him at the synagogue in the marketplace. When he traveled to Jerusalem for feasts, you went with him. Everywhere the rabbi went, you went. And you would learn from the rabbi everything that you possibly could. And when the rabbi felt like you were ready and the rabbi felt like you've learned everything you could learn and that you were like the rabbi now, he would now say this to you for your next step. Go, make your own disciples. This is what it meant to be a disciple In the first century, in the area of Israel known as Galilee, where Jesus lived and where Jesus chose the 12 apostles. This is how the villages and the towns around the Sea of Galilee lived. This was the culture of their homes and their lives. This is where Jesus lived and picked his first disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And the dad said, What's going on? How am I going to catch fish now? In Jesus' ministry, we see groups of 500 people, groups of 70 people, and the group of 12. He called all of them disciples. Now, the 12 disciples, we understand, are a more select group and got to be on the inside more with Jesus because he was training them to become the leaders. But as you look at Jesus' ministry and how he taught, you begin to understand that Jesus was calling everyone disciples. So we learn a lot about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus from the place and the context where Jesus chose his disciples. Now here's what's interesting. This is where the conflict comes in place. Several conflicts. In fact, there's there's several conflicts that, that begin to happen as Jesus begins to call people and say, come, follow me this conflict begins to arise in Israel because when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's not gone through Beth Midrash. He just went to start working with his dad, be a carpenter. He didn't go on to study with a rabbi. He he didn't become a Talmud. And have a rabbi that he followed for a long time. And then that rabbi said, go make your own disciples. Jesus didn't have that. He just shows up on the scene. And he starts calling people to be his disciples. He hasn't even gone to higher education school and learned from a rabbi himself. I mean, goodness, he only went to trade school. How good can he possibly be? making a lot more money than the people that went to higher education, but he only went to trade school. Now, this is one of the reasons the religious teachers, the rabbis, and the priests in Jerusalem did not like Jesus. You're not following the structure. You're not following the system. How do we even know you're a disciple? How do we even know you know the Old Testament? What, you're just calling people to be your disciples? And then he starts to do things that are a little bit different than the priests, right? Like, well, simple things like raising dead people, (laughs) casting demons out of people, walking on water, stuff like that. (laughs) As he begins to teach, it's apparent that he has not had the training, but somehow he has all of the Old Testament memorized. How did he do that without training? He has an understanding of God's word and a deeper knowledge and meaning of the text better than any of the priests or the other rabbis. How does he know that? When he was 12, he went to the temple and confounded the priests. And in Luke chapter two, verse 47, it says, everyone who heard him at age 12 was amazed at his understanding and his answers. How could he do that? Now, let me tell you, this is not just, Luke's not Jesus' grandparent. Can I just tell you that? Do you understand what I mean? You know how grandparents say, oh, Jackson is so smart. (laughs) Like he's the smartest 12 year old in the world. That's what Kate and I will think. That's not Luke. Luke's not Jesus' grandpa. So he's like extrapolating here how awesome Jesus is. No, the priests were dumbfounded that this 12-year-old has questions and answers about God's word that I don't even have. Now, how did God, how did Jesus do that? Well, you know how he did that. The Bible is his words. The Old Testament is his words. Words and he knows what he said and he knows what he meant. So that's our first challenge. The other challenge is that when we discuss Jesus' idea of being a disciple today, we have to ask ourselves some things like, did he change some of the conditions of being a disciple? since he went outside the box a little bit, because he can, because he's God, because he doesn't have a box actually, right? Because Jesus did it in a different way, does that mean that we can make conclusions that discipleship is done in a completely different way? Does that mean that we don't have to follow someone 24/7. Does that mean that we don't have to have as deep a commitment and a passion to serve Jesus? Does it mean that our love for God's word and our desire to live it out is, doesn't have to be as strong as Jesus? Did Jesus water down what it meant to be a disciple in the first century and today? Well, let's look. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21 There's a rich young ruler who's been following Jesus around because he's doing everything awesome. And he wants to be one of Jesus' followers. He wants to be one of Jesus' disciples. He wants to be like Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, and so he comes and he says, How can I do that? How can I be like you? How can I follow you? And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, Jesus asks him to make a choice. Your money or me? Now in this young man's particular life, he was rich, he was wealthy. And in that day, that was a very difficult thing to do. In our day, I'm gonna be honest, we're all wealthy. We are. We live in the United States, we live in the best country of the world, and we're all wealthy. None of us are gonna go without lunch this afternoon. We're all gonna drive pretty nice cars home. Mine's an 01 Tundra and it's really awesome because I've never had to fix anything in it for years. And it's an awesome vehicle, right? We have what we need. But let me ask you an even deeper question like what Jesus asked for this, for this. What's the one thing that would be the most difficult for you to give up, to follow Jesus? Did you notice that's what he did with this guy? The most difficult thing for him to give up is what he asks him to give up, to follow Jesus. When I was a boy, it, it's, not, it's not important to me now, but when I was 18 and Jesus was calling me to be a disciple and to be in ministry, my biggest thing was baseball. That's what was going to happen. My son is still convinced that he should be living off of uh, our estate because I would have been a professional baseball player and made millions of dollars. It's probably not true. But that, that was my heart. That was my passion. And I didn't want to give it up. And so I struggled greatly for an entire summer about what I should do. And you know the answer, eventually Jesus wins because Jesus always wins. Amen? So Jesus asks us to make a choice. Him or whatever you want. That doesn't sound watered down to me. In Luke chapter six, verse 20 to 23 Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. Now, before we go on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm super thankful I live in America. Go ahead. I'm super thankful I live in America. Why? Because this isn't a disciple of Jesus Christ's reality in the United States. But guess what? What? In a lot of places around the rest of the world, this is the exact reality for a follower of Jesus Christ. They're poor, they're struggling, they're hungry, life is hard, people hate them, exclude them, beat them, persecute them, kill them. It's not our reality because we happen to live in a great place. But don't let our great place Change the fact that this is the reality for most disciples of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, Jesus is also communicating what could be a tough life. And that in that tough situation, there is an incredible blessing and reward in heaven for those who choose to serve Jesus through struggle. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, if you're gonna be a disciple, then it's not about me. It's not about my life. You're saying I will serve in death like he did for me and I will die daily to live for Jesus. It doesn't sound like Jesus is watering down anything to me. Doesn't sound like discipleship in Jesus' eyes has is somehow second best. In fact, it sounds like he raised the bar. See, here's what we've discovered. We've discovered that being a disciple in the first century when Jesus was alive and asking people to believe in him and follow him, it's not much different than what he's asking today. Jesus' disciples understood the strength of living in community. A disciple had a passion for God's word and for living it out. A disciple was ready to leave everything behind and follow their teacher. So let's go back to our question. Do you trust that you are a disciple of Jesus? Are you living in the strength of community? Do you have a passion for God's word and living it out? Are you ready to leave everything behind to serve Jesus? This is what a disciple is. This is the biblical understanding of a disciple. Now next week, we're we're gonna look at that even in more in depth. What does that look like today? How is the New Testament affirming that with the new writers? As the church begins to move into the first and into the second and the third and on and on all the way now into the 21st century, is the church still doing life this way? Should we be continuing our structure and our lives in the way that we see it lived out in the first century? We're gonna look at that and discover that and contemplate that next week as well. We will discover that not much has changed about being a disciple of Jesus and that the power of the gospel is in the way that we live as a disciple, as a follower, as you and I choose to say individually each of us, Jesus, may I follow you? May I follow you? May I be like you? Would you teach me and help me to be just like you? Would you stand with me? I've given you several things to think about. This is a big deal. This isn't just like going and watching a football game. We're talking about life. This is important stuff. This is our reality and how we choose to raise our kids and hang out with our grandkids and how we treat our neighbors and who we look at as important and how we love and how we worship. This is huge. And this is why Jesus in particular went to little small villages in Israel because that's how people were living. In community, focused on God's word, living it out, and ready to commit their lives fully to the creator God that they knew, that loved them, loved the world around them. As we worship just a little bit more with this song, would you just think about that? Begin to process, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your life? What does that mean for your decisions? What's the one thing Jesus might want you to change like he asked the rich young ruler? Maybe there's three things, maybe there's one. What does it really mean that you say, I am a disciple of Jesus?
1: My voice to sing of your goodness. I lift my voice to sing of your love. I lift my voice to sing hallelujah. Jesus, our Savior, your word. Savior You're worthy of it all I lift my voice to sing of your goodness I lift my voice to sing of your love I lift my voice to sing hallelujah Jesus, I see.
0: think of a better way to give you our highest praise than to give you our life. And to say from the deepest resources and the deepest part of our heart, our soul, and our intellect, to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to follow you. I want to love God like you do. I want to love people like you did. I want to be like you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be those people. To be people that are making that tough choice and that tough decision to be just like you. Now, Jesus, we give you thanks that you've not just left us alone, but you've empowered us with the Holy Spirit to live like this. And I pray that you would help us to do that, that we would constantly, regularly, all throughout the day, live in the Spirit, not in our flesh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I I recognize that this morning is a two-part thing, so I want to highly encourage you to come back next week not just because I want to see you in church and I want regular attendance at Jeannie Faith Center. This is serious. And what I've asked you to do and what I've talked about this morning, I hope that it causes a very serious amount of thinking for you this week. That you would dive into God's word this week and recognize the things that we're talking about are very, very serious in the year 2022 and moving forward. I want to encourage you to process what it means to be a disciple. This is so serious because our world needs us. Our world needs people that are like Jesus. You have a family that needs someone that looks like Jesus. You have coworkers that need someone that looks like Jesus. You have neighbors, we have a city, we have a country, we have a world that needs people that look like Jesus. So this week, Would you think about what it would look like to look like Jesus? Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what you need to change, what you need to work on. My hope is that that is exactly what our community would see. A tight-knit group of people that love Jesus radically. Lastly, remember that Jesus loves you. So do Kate and I. Have a great day.